Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And today we are going to be talking about the 10th Doctor episode, The Fires of Pompeii, which is from his uh, third series uh, with uh, Donna. And uh, we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. Before we do, I want to remind everybody that we're from the website uh, mindrobber.net, the home site of Mind Robber Productions, where we talk about all of the things on podcasts, uh, like this one, The Doctor's Companion, where we talk about Doctor Who, and our mothership podcast, The Mind Robbers, where we talk about uh, everything else. And if you like our shows, you should review them uh, on iTunes, specifically, because that's where people usually find our shows. Uh, and if you have questions, comments, concerns, or whatever else, you can email them to podcast at mindrobber.net, and uh, we might read them on the show. Uh, and if you want to start a discussion about the things we talked about in this episode, then you should head to the comments uh, so everyone uh, can know what you're, what you're thinking. So, uh, Matt. Hello. The f- hello. <laughs> Hello, hello. <clears throat> the Fires of Pompeii is the episode we're talking about today. I can't imagine, um, other than one thing, I can't imagine there being a whole lot of background and significance for this one, but what do you got? Uh, well, it's a couple of things that are really interesting. It's the first proper adventure of Donna Noble. She was also in... Um, Oh, God. The Runaway Bride and Partners in Crime. But this is like her first time taking a trip in the TARDIS for a jolly good adventure. Um, so it's it's the first Donna Noble story. And it's also a return to Rome. Not by Rome. I mean, like, the Roman Empire, which the Doctor had previously visited in, like, the Romans and possibly others. I don't remember them off the top of my head. But it's it's notable because it really creates... Like, it's the first time that... Doctor Who really talks about fixed points in time that can't be altered or replaced, and it really is kind of like uh, like a precursor to The Waters of Mars, uh, which is kind of interesting, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But it's also uh, the first time that Doctor Who shot outside of England in like 20 years, um, and not counting the TV movie. Because Vancouver is like a cheat place. Like, anyone can shoot in Vancouver. Um, uh, no offense to Vancouver. Um, so, it's the first time they the Doctor Who crew packed up all their stuff and brought a small skeleton crew down to uh, Rome and the, like, the movie studios in Rome and they shot in Rome. And, I mean, like, they used the, the HBO series sets to like be their locations i suppose but it like i don't know it kind of works and it's kind of cool like and it's also you know moffat's eras have always shot off like out of england as well like you know vampires in venice was not in england and i don't think vincent and the doctor was either um so it's cool i like i like that this kind of really shows them going abroad for the first time uh it took them a lot less this this time around in, in the classic series it actually took them like something like 17 years to get out of England but here it only took them like three and a half so that's really cool nice yeah yeah all right um and then also of course uh, uh pre Amy Pond Karen Gillan oh that too I forgot about that <laughs> which is so <laughs> weird to see for two reasons uh number one. 
because when she's stalking the doctor at the beginning of the episode, she still looks like Amy Pond. Mm-hmm. She just looks like Amy Pond with makeup on. Um, but she still looks and has the same like body language of Amy Pond. So that's weird. Um, and, and seeing her in the, uh, the non HD cameras that are in use in, uh, the Davies era mm-hmm. is also weird. Um, and then also weird too, because she's not Scottish, she's English. <laughs> so when she's yeah. like, ta- when she's talking and she has no Scottish accent, it like, it, it kind of threw me about mm-hmm. as much as if you've seen any of the Rex is not my lawyer footage and hearing, uh, David Tennant with an American accent. Oh, the man, that's weird. <laughs> that is weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. See that. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. anyway, before we start talking about the fires of Pompeii, um, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com. This month at InStockTrades.com, you can purchase our new uh, book of the month, which is... Echo, the complete edition by Terry Moore. This book is available for only $27.99, which is 30% off the suggested retail price of $39.99. That's 600 pages of, of, of a complete series uh, for less than 30 bucks. So go get it. Um, it's a cool sci-fi story with gorgeous art from Terry Moore. Um, he is just... He is an excellent character-centric storyteller. So yeah. uh, go go check out Echo and get it from InStockTrades.com, where all orders over $50 get free shipping. All right, so um, <clears throat> the, Pompeii, uh, the Fires of Pompeii, uh, the thing that I found the most interesting about this episode, I think, and this isn't something that happens often, for me anyway, but this episode, rewatching this episode, it became I, I became very aware of the fact that uh, James Moran and I know, uh, having read the writer's tale, that uh, Davies did a crazy rewrite on this episode, mm-hmm. um, and and did not pull credit for it. Uh, but he did a crazy, I, but uh, he did a crazy rewrite. But I don't think he did. He didn't do like a page one rewrite. He just rewrote all of the dialogue, right? Yeah, it was like a like a, the heaviest polish that you can possibly do, right? Like without like restructuring anything, basically. Yeah, and right. there's like there's in in the original hardcover version of the writer's tale, like they show you like two pages of dialogue from Morin, and then they show you two pages of dialogue from Davies, and the difference is like night and day. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so like the thing that I noticed is that, and I'm, I'm going to credit James Morin with this, uh, because Davies just really focused on the dialogue and character stuff. Um, Morin is a classic who fan because this is a classic who episode. Oh yes. I mean, it's, 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 it's insane. I mean, just, just everything about it, the way it's structured, um, the way, just like the way the story unfolds and the kind of, uh, mystery it is and how there's like, there's three level, no, four levels of monsters in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is so a classic who thing. I mean, four, four, four levels of antagonists equals, uh, four episodes of the classic series. I mean, that's how classic Who episodes are. Are a lot of them are generally structured, where you have like, oh, is this guy the bad guy? No, they're working for this guy, and this guy's working for this guy, and this guy's working for this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this episode is is structured just like that. Plus, you get the double antagonist, which is another thing that classic Who does a lot. Um, I mean, we were just talking about that recently. Uh, in our in our Last last week in the episode um, where we talked about uh, uh, Axos, yeah, Axos with Chin, um, yeah, yeah. I mean he he's he's the secondary antagonist, and here we have the secondary antagonist with uh, the guy from uh, the Caesar looking guy that that plays the cab the cabbie and the pilot for Sherlock. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 
it's it's just it's crazy just how much this is structured like a classic who episode and it was astounding watching it because i was i was just i was fascinated by that while i was watching it definitely it it totally plays into those and i think that that's to the to the story's credit like i mean i've long said that season four is like my favorite season of doctor who series four i guess um of new who like i really just love this season and i always kind of dismiss pompeii because i'm because like i think about you know the six that end the season uh the moffat two-parter uh stolen earth midnight turn left and i'm just like oh those are so good and everything in the first half just kind of gets waved away um which is i mean it's not fair to those stories but those last six are so just like below the roof off the house that it's just you know it's untouchable Mm -hmm, but like mm -hmm. after those this is like right there like Mm -hmm. this is this is easily the best story of this season after that after those six because god it's good and that's i think this might be my favorite this is i i actually not there's no might about it this is definitely my favorite of the uh you know what you would call i guess like not generics is kind of a bad a bad term to use but for lack of a better term uh it's 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 my favorite like generic like doctor and companion story with tenant and and donna yeah that doesn't like that isn't based on a weird conceit or right. it's just some... a basic it's just mm-hmm. your basic like doctor and companion show up find a mystery solve said mystery save the day and leave yeah this yeah. is this is my favorite of those uh, of of the te- of the Doctor and Donna. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely agreed. It's it's kind of good and like it's. I mean, the thing is, like, it does have a really cool like moral quandary at the very end, where the Doctor's like, "Do I save Pompeii or do I save the world?" Um, but I mean, even beyond that, it's just such it's just so much fun, like in mm-hmm. ways that Doctor Who just needs to be. And mm-hmm. I can't think of any story. That is, like, more fun than this one. Like, it's... I mean, I can think of stuff that's, like, as fun, but this is about as close to that as you can possibly get, in my opinion. Like... Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many things, too, that they that they play around with. Like, I love the uh, the TARDIS, like, uh, language gags um, mm-hmm. with the... Uh, <laughs> with the with the guy not understanding Welsh or whatever. When she <laughs> the Celtic. Latin. Yeah, Celtic, Celtic. Yeah. Well, well, it's Celtic, but then, but he he says she, he thinks you're Welsh. Um, <laughs> so, like, it just it's 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 funny because that's that's a thing that's um, played with a little bit more with uh, dialects in Vincent and the Doctor um, a couple years later. So mm-hmm. it's it's just it's I, I just I really like this, and I think that all of the all of the guest characters are really strong, like the the family. The Pompeii family is really strong, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and and their, uh, d- their their dynamic and the way that their characters each have sort of a story. Like everything, everything is just really strong. Um, it even ends on like sort of a funny note, very similarly to Classic Who, um, yeah. Which I think is, I, I just I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Really it's do. it's remarkably clever, I think, this whole mm-hmm. script. And, I mean, that's both Moran with his structure and Davies with the polish. Like, the, the dialogue joke to me really sticks out as well. Like, I just – every time I watch it, I'm just like, gosh, that's such a clever little joke that they do. Like, And it does it, – it, it, there's no purpose for it. I mean, like, if you look at it, there's no reason for that to be there except to say, oh, that not that so, like, nifty that we can do that? But it just – it just works. And, it, and that's, like, what – makes the story so good and like i think that well i guess we can talk about that later but i mean i it, it's it's a, it's remarkable that they make such a good filling story in 45 minutes where i don't feel like they rush anything um like too much like i don't feel like they rush anything and i don't feel like they're padding out the story too much and that's just like it's such a perfect balance you can tell that like by the time that Davies got around to this fourth season, he just knew how to do the 45-minute story, and he knew how to do it so well. And that's why this story just, like, buzzes so strongly. Like, it's so right where they needed it to be, which is remarkably good. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's um, that's good. I think that also, this is 
I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm crazy because I watched the first four seasons fairly quickly. But I noticed that every time a season, like, every time they went to the next season, I noticed, like, a jump in budget where suddenly they could afford a little bit more. And when I got to, like, season four, I was like, wow, this is, like, a completely different show. And, like, when I got to Pompeii, like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I just, the set, the production design on this whole story is magic. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. I mean, I I really believe that they're in Rome. And not just the parts where they're, like, shooting in Rome. Like, the parts that are in, like, the... the Like, the, the house that the Pompeii family lives in is such a great set. Like, it's... It is, but it's, it's also... It's also uh, not an expensive set. It's a great set, but they're, they're using... They're using very little of their budget, I think, in there. Um, oh sure, yeah. Because it's not it's not an extravagant set. It's just perfect. Mm-hmm. It, they get the they get the right balance of like where you can tell that the production team puts like too much work into a set to make it look too lived in, or and and like so like too lived in and then like you know cheap student film not lived in enough because you can't afford things like and it's it just it they hit that sweet spot really nice like really nice like everything from the pond to the TARDIS in the corner. It just it all just works. Like it's just really, really excellent to me, always. Um and I'm kinda of blown away by that. That said, uh I don't uh, maybe I'm just jaded because I've seen way too many generic caves, but when they went out when they went down into the caves, I was like, eh, this is where they didn't have the budget to do a convincing cave. <laughs> <laughs> because Because I don't think I mean caves are just boring. They're just boring to look at, um unless they've I can't think of a convincing cave I've seen in a movie in a long time. Uh, maybe Chronicle, uh, but I don't know. I, when I when they went down to the cave, I was like, "Oh, and we're back in Doctor Who again." <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, but I, that, it just blows me away. And all the location shooting, like their decision to shoot in like Italy, was the best decision they made because it just makes it like. The second from the second that they're in the streets, like, and by starting it in the streets, Davies allows the viewer to be like, "Oh, damn, they're really in Pompeii." And then you know you cut to a set in England, and instantly you believe that it's in Rome because you've just shot them, you just saw them shoot in Rome, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's that's just so clever. And I mean, I just I love that. That's so. That's so brilliant because, like, it, there are times where I was watching it, I was just like, "Oh, that's in Rome, right?" And it's like, "No, no, that's in that's in Wales." <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I just I love that. Um, yeah, so much. Yeah, I uh, I also I just you know like I I I love Donna and we've talked about Donna and uh, Donna's chemistry with uh, the Tenth Doctor and. Uh, when we talked about the Centaur and two-parter, but I'm just gonna say it again: like this is this is this is a great Doctor Companion, uh, like combination, and one oh, that sure. and one that isn't is is fairly underrated, I think. Oh sure, um, you know, but then again. You know, Martha and Donna both are are underrated in comparison to Rose, um, just because Rose seems to be the um, default setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she's like the <laughs> iconic, uh, the iconic companion for New Who, uh, for for the Russell T Davies era, um, which is unfortunate because. You know, Martha and and especially Donna get the short shaft because of it. And Donna as a character is a character that people, man, they hate on her. Really? That's oh so weird. God, there are still people who hate Donna. I don't understand. I don't. I, I don't either. I don't get it. But people can't stand her. Well, like even in this story, though, like this story is, I mean, short of turn left and stolen Earth, this is Catherine Tate's best story. Like I'm. I'm I maybe I'm crazy, but like I can't think of a story that plays to her strengths nearly as much as this one does. And she does she does everything in this story. Like everything from the the silly fun companion that she is at the beginning all the way to the like 
almost screaming at the doctor at the end when he's in the TARDIS and she's just like, save someone. Like, everything in between is just masterful. Like, it's so good in ways that companions, you know, they're not. Not every companion is as good as Donna was. No, like, very few are. And it's like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Because, like, when she was in the TARDIS at the very end and, like, just begging the doctor, like, I was like, God, Catherine Tate's so good. Yeah, she is. She's so good. And, like, everything about this is pretty perfect. Like, everything. Everything there is. It's just so good. And her and, and David Tennant just have impossibly good chemistry. Yeah. And not yeah. – not and when people hear chemistry, you know, people – you immediately – your mind immediately goes to romantic chemistry. But that's not what I'm talking about at all. They just – they 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 have great chemistry. And, and the thing that's funny – about watching this and then seeing watching the trailer because I always watch the trailer whenever we do a new Who episode I always watch the trailer at the end. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, watching the trailer for the end is like they you know they have the gag in this where where they mistake them for husband and wife and they're like no 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 we're not we're not husband and wife and they're like oh brother and sister oh yeah I could see that you guys gonna look like and you have the gag where they're like really um, and then you watch <laughs> the thing for next week. And and they have the same gag. It's like sort of an ongoing gag of them just beating the horse into the ground that these two characters are friends and nothing more. And they're just they're like after Rose uh, and 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 Martha the unrequited. You know we needed the Doctor to just have a friend and 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 like like an older sister. And that's that's totally what this is. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it, it's fresh in ways that New Who like just hasn't felt fresh. Um, and I think that like this is probably the most like complex. And I only say complex because you know romance is not necessarily complex. Everyone does romance, but you know it's much harder to write. Uh, who is it? Uh, oh, oh God! I just forgot their character names. Um, Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler on Parks and Rec than it is to write Jim and Pam on The Office. Like it's just—it's a harder relationship because the natural chemistry when you see a man and a woman on screen is to just make is to just like look at them and go make out. You know, like that's mm-hmm. just that's just default. And like, how many times have you like? you know, seen it and thought about it. Like it just happens. It's a natural reaction to just seeing these characters. And you know, there is that sort of desire. And I love that Davies is playing with that, but also saying at every possibility, just like, that's not happening. Stop it. Stop being pervy and weird. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and Oh God, I love that. And it's so different than anything in new who, I mean, Amy Pond, notwithstanding, I mean, that's a longer conversation, but it's like, you know, I, I can't think of much that they've done with Amy after se- after her first season. Um, and this just, this is so much more what I want. Like, I don't, I don't need the crazy Bendy to really love a relationship. And this is, this is proof of that. Like, it's so, it's just so pure and untainted in ways that, you know, Martha will always be tainted by the fact that she wasn't able to, that the doctor wasn't able to love her. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, that, I mean, it, it, it kind of destroyed her character, but it kind of didn't, I mean, it's, it's basically her character, but like, this is so, I mean, they just take the first opportunity to say, we're moving on. And if you don't want to move on, then get off. Like, cause we don't have time for it. Um, and I just, I love that. It's so good. And like, like you said, that moment where they're just like, really? I'd forgotten that they said really, like I'd forgotten that. And I was like, ha that's so funny. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that the thing I really like about this, and I mean, this is just something that I only noticed on repeat viewings, but the part where the soothsayer walks into the, into the, like the villa, I guess it is. I'm just going to call it the villa, like the manor house place. Um, where he walks into the villa and basically just starts shouting prophecies and everyone's just like, ha ha ha, you're so funny. And then he basically just riffs on the doctor and just starts telling all these crazy things about how he's from a Gallifrey and he's a time Lord and the stuff about the Medusa cascade. Like I never noticed it until I rewatched this after seeing the season, but like the line where he says, you have something on your back to Donna gives me chills 
every time. Yeah. Like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> because Davies hadn't even written that at this point. Like, that was just a vague concept that he had. And he just kind of just said, eh, we're going to write this. And then, oh, it's such a good payoff. And it's not something that you think of in like at the beginning, and it's not something that you can be convinced of until you watch it again, but... Oh, it's a sucker punch. Yeah, it, and it's it's great too because it's the kind of line where when you hear it, you're like, "What the hell's that about?" And then, but, but but then, like thirty seconds later, you've already forgotten it happened. Oh yeah. If if you were watching it and you don't know what the reference means, you know, like on your first watch through, it's that kind of line where you're just like, "What?" And then you've already your brain has already moved on to what's going on next, and you've completely forgotten about it. So then rewatching it, you know, you watch it knowing the ending and you're just like, oh, wow, that's good. That's <laughs> yeah, good. it is. And like when I think about, um, you know, the overarching mythology of a season, that's always my touchstone is that you have something on your backline because it's not tied into anything else. You don't have to know. You won't ever know. Like it doesn't interfere with anything. And if you compare it to something that like, like kind of what's going on now, I mean, it's so different, but like, and I know that I'm biased because I love the Davies era unabashedly. And I love what he did with the show. And Davies is doctor who is always going to be like my doctor who, but like, Oh, this is the stuff. Like, that's the stuff where I'm just like, it's just like, it's kind of an Easter egg. It's kind of not, but it's also just tying all the pieces together in ways that, you know, you don't need every episode to be about the thing that you're talking about. Well, the um, difference, I think the difference between what he's doing here and what uh, Moffat does later is that what Davies is doing is a hint. What Moffat does is a prophecy. Mm-hmm. And that's, they're, they're just, they're inherently different. Um, one is way easier to screw up than the other. Uh <laughs> I it, it is because because the the problem is like with a hint there's no gravitas in a hint. When you when you drop a hint like you've got something on your back it doesn't it doesn't mean anything it's just a hint and you're just like hmm wonder what that meant. But you're not analyzing it and breaking it apart and everything. A prophecy when you're when you're told this thing is a prophecy about the future of the show of what's going on, so and you give it that level of gravitas, people are just going to tear it apart. And no matter what you do at that point, I mean, you've written yourself into a corner because you can't you can't exceed the expectations that you've built yourself. Oh sure, and that's the thing. It's like you can't like those expectations are all what you've built up in your head, mm-hmm. and it's like. You know, like, after watching... Spoilers, I guess. The Doctor gets shot in Lake Silencio. I mean, after you see that, you're just like, oh, crap, how is the Doctor getting out of this? And you spend, you know, the better part of a year trying to figure it out. And no matter what Moffat comes up with, it's not going to be satisfying. Not Moffat, but, like, no matter what anyone would have come up with, it's not going to be nearly as satisfying as what's in your head. And I think, like... Yeah, and that's a... That's unfortunate. I mean, but there's nothing there's there's nothing you can do. But this is I don't know, this is more satisfying and it's also I love the standalone. Like I love that you can just come to it, you can just sit down, you can watch it and just be entertained for 45 minutes and then turn it off and be fine. Mhm. Like and I oh gosh, it's so nice to do that. Whereas you can't do that with most of the Moffat era. Not not no. all, but most of the Moffat era. Yeah. You can't, you can't just like, you can't just like throw on an episode and watch it there's there's a few there's a handful that you can but not all of them yeah and you can't like especially not those written by Moffat. like you can't just pick up um uh outside Goodman of the goes- beast below outside of the beast below you can't just <laughs> oh, throw sure. on one. Oh sure yeah. um but like outside of um i mean like i was just thinking about good man goes to war like imagine just picking that up and watching it like it just you can't do it, it. no it, it wouldn't play nearly as well um and that's not a bad thing. Like I love you and I love serialized to- storytelling as much as anything else. But, sure, absolutely. But I mean, Doctor Who is almost weird because I almost prefer Doctor Who as standalone, um, with a big finale that kind of wraps everything up. Um, mm-hmm. And I, that's, I mean, that's and my that's thing. And, and that's as, as a that's a direct result of the Davies era. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, 
And that's like, I mean, but that's the stuff I always gravitate to, even in, um, even in classic who, like, I mean, all of those are standalone, but when you get to something as completely impenetrable as like attack of the Cybermen, besides the fact that it's, you know, a terrible story, um, and I'll fight anyone who disagrees with me, uh, you get to attack the Cybermen, you can't just pick it up. Like you just can't, like you need a, for for one thing, I'd rather watch just about any other story. But two, that story references like Tomb of the Cybermen in a big bad way and makes it like an intrinsic part of the plot. And it's like, guys, that was twenty years ago. Like, why are you doing this? Um, but I like, I don't know, I just like this. And like between this and I think one of the most recent episodes we talked about was the Long Game. Like that was the last Eccleston we talked about. And like between the Long Game and this, like this is just. Oh man, this is my Doctor Who bread and butter right here. Like this is just oh, this is so fun. This is so mm-hmm. good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. I also um, I also really wanted to mention. <laughs> well, I'll mention it really briefly. Did you did you catch the stock footage of volcanoes? Yeah. Oh, I love stock footage so much. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, everything from the invasion to uh, the time war. I just, I love stock footage because it just, oh, it's so wonderful. I, I oh. love the stock footage because every time I see stock footage, I keep waiting for, like, Morgan Freeman voiceover. <laughs> and that was the day Pompeii exploded. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> but um, I also... I also really wanted to mention the just the just the makeup effects like oh the makeup effects on the stone creatures like mm-hmm. not the not the um not the not the not the CGI ones although I like their design they're kind of cool but the like the the high priestess yeah like when I look at her oh and oh. I know you love it oh oh I love it because that like more than any other portion of of this episode. The high priestess reminded me of classic who, like that is oh. such a classic who design. Yeah, in the best of ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. And it's a great, like I mean, you and I both love practical makeup effects. Like, the, oh yeah, it's such a, it's such a cool thing. And then like it's punctuated by her tongue, which sounds like the weirdest thing, but if you watch it, like her tongue makes that whole thing work mm-hmm. if for no other reason than because you see the tongue and you're just like oh my god there's a person under there mm-hmm. and it's oh it's so perfect it's so 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 wonderful and the build up and you're right the build up to that like from the soothsayer from the soothsayer daughter really to the soothsayer to the high priestess to the pyrovials is a great build um it's totally like malcolm hulk like straight war games almost um where it just keeps twisting and mm-hmm. changing. and I mean, it, it's just a story that keeps you guessing all the way to the very last second. And that's always, that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I love the idea that it is just a straight... Like, despite that, despite the fact that you are going from antagonist to antagonist and building and building and building within the, you know, 40 minutes of the episode, like, despite that, it's still very straightforward like it's not it's not like a twisty turny episode where you're like oh no like there was this surprise villain the whole time it's like a natural thing mm-hmm. um which which i i i really love and and respect a very straightforward episode like this one yeah it's it's very well structured like the structure on it is remarkably sound and i mean that's that's why i think davies was able to write like just polish it as best he could because you know goods like if you just throw on a really strong structure to like just davies is writing like that's just wonderful like i mean i i like davies structures anyways because i'm i just love the era but um this is this is so like you're right it's just so straightforward and i'll point out it does it in 45 minutes and it does it Without being overly crammed um, in the way... I mean, I know that we're slamming Moffat, but I mean, I'm still bitter. And it's worth discussing. Um, the it, it never feels rushed, but it never feels slow. And it just really gets across a whole rich story convincingly very well in 45 minutes. And it 
I mean, it, it does it better than just about any other story. Like, it, it just does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think James Warren should come back and do another story. I really think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah. I, I, you know, and it's, 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 it's funny that they're both, um, they both take place in, in Italy, but uh, the fires of Pompeii is like the Davies, the Davies era version of vampires in Venice. I think. Sure, I, can I, see that. I I think that they're. I mean, they're both really similar, just uh, from a story standpoint. Just because it's like, you know, daughter forced to enter this cult of evil, evil. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, but. Uh, it you know they both they they they're both very reminiscent of classic who and and they're just both just just fun romps yeah and i love a good pseudo historical like mm-hmm. nothing gets me like a good pseudo historical that you know that that's a classic who term but it basically refers to a story that takes place in the past but it has is just laden with sci-fi elements like you see it in shakespeare code you see it in a uh, the time warrior is a great example of a pseudo historical Oh, there's nothing better for me. Like, oh, I just love a good pseudo historical so mm-hmm. much. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <sighs> oh, this so is a good up. episode. Thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. So I don't know, do you have anything else to say about it? Uh I really loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean too. I really I I just go I went out on a limb there. Thank God it didn't snap and smother me with awful. Uh, I like the circuit tiles. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It's so weird and clever. Yeah. 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 The giant circuit tiles that don't con- that don't touch each other in any way, and I'm not really sure how the circuit works, but that's besides the point. Hashtag magic. Yeah. Also, uh, the doctor rips a dude's arm off. Like, I don't care if it's stone or not. He ripped a dude's arm off. (laughs) I love that the the dude is just like, hey. Instead of like, ow, he's just like, hey. (laughs) What are you doing? And then he owns that missing arm like the rest of the episode. (laughs) He just like like, puts it out for the whole world to see. He's like, yeah, it'll grow back. I'll wear my shame. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the doctor definitely ripped that guy's arm off. Can you imagine if he'd been wrong and it just turned into, like, horrific, like... He just, like, no, he just, like, pulls the guy's arm out of its socket. And the guy just screams. Yeah, he's like, oh, I thought thought it was going to be stone. Why would you think that? (laughs) Oh, it hurts! Why? What conclusion could you have possibly jumped to? (laughs) <laughs> to assume that my arm would be stone. <laughs> oh, now I'm going to make you pick between these two pills. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and David Tennant's really good. I mean, that's... That almost... Yeah, it goes without saying. But. It goes without saying, but like I just, I just looked at my notes really quick, and I just remembered that basically from the moment when he activates the volcano and you know dooms pompeii like the amount to which he just shuts down is shocking oh like, he's so good and he's just like haven't enough people died and donna's like yes <laughs> like oh it's such a that is so good david oh, Tennant, so, so he is excellent he was he was a he was a good doctor i'd say yeah <laughs> yeah Oh, uh, I would say one weak point for this episode, um, and mostly generic, mostly mostly a g- generic point, um, because I don't feel like he ever really did anything uh, revolutionary in this episode at all. But uh, there is one glaringly awful thing, at least for me. Um, Colin Teague, the director of this episode, uh, not the best director, I don't think. Um, and the moment that where I was like, because he, I didn't really notice him the whole episode, um, which mm-hmm. means you know, like okay, whatever, work for hire director. And then he does the scene where the where the doctor saves the family, and there's this glowing white light behind him, like he's an angel. Yeah, 
<laughs> I mean, really? Re- that's what fan? you go with? Seriously? I wish the TARDIS had just turned into a black hole of fire. And the doctor was like, choose! <laughs> but, but no, but seriously, uh, I just... I, I don't... That was that was that was just bad. Like, I mean, so on the nose and such the obvious thing to do in that moment. Sure, sure. And I just, oh god, I did not like that. Yeah, I can't argue that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't mind it nearly as much, but I can't argue it. Yeah, I just look, just look. Um, I mean, I know, I know he was setting up the gag at the end of the episode uh mm-hmm. but you could have had that gag without the setup and it would have been fine sure you didn't need to make the doctor look angelic especially to look angelic and it not be the last beat we have between the family and the doctor like we have that whole scene on the mountaintop in between <laughs> that in the end so like you have this this beat where he's like this larger than life angelic figure saving this family and then you cut to them all just kind of hanging out on the mountaintop you know it's funny you mentioned the angelic thing because i remembered while you were talking this guy also directed sounds of sound of drums and last of the time lords hmm so so angelic doctor is not outside of his wheelhouse yeah apparently not <laughs> hmm. yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't mind him. Uh, that choice was a little—it's a little melodramatic, I think. Yeah, um, melodramatic. Like, like I said, he's not. But oh, man, see, and he has—he has this this crappy thing. And then you look at you look at that three-parter, or I guess he only did the two-part. The two. Parts. Yeah, no, Graham Harper did uh, Utopia. That okay, and rightfully so. Um, <laughs> because that episode, whoo, uh, but, but I mean, he did, he did that great moment that I love in last of the time Lords where the master is like dancing around the table or whatever mm-hmm. to the uh, scissor sisters. Yeah. To the scissor sisters, which is a moment I, I love, um, yeah. because it's, for me, it's the, 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 the pinnacle moment for John Sims master oh sure like that and just it's also, sums him up in 30 seconds mm-hmm. and he also did the sound of drums which is like i mean i think sound of drums as an episode is completely underrated like oh yeah it, it's that is such, a great conference table sequence oh god the great conference table sequence the great like the great phone conversation sequence the great like just doctor and everyone running around while under percep- perception filter sequence mm-hmm. it's just that story is brilliant. Like, mm-hmm. it's so good. And, like, Teague directs the hell out of all that. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll talk about that at a later date. Yeah, we will. Because... That we will. That we will. <laughs> um, and I don't, think, I don't think that far down the line, if I remember correctly. Really? Because I I'm probably saved that for later. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I mean, all of, all of the finales for Tennant and Eccleston, I think, came, come much later. <laughs> Okay, I I thought it was I thought it was uh, I thought it surprised me with uh, it being not that far away, but uh, maybe I was wrong. Here, I'll find it right now. While you do the spot, um, yeah. So uh, before we wrap it up, um, want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by DCBService.com. Uh, Discount Comic Book Service is the site that lets you order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, anything you can get from your local comic book shop, you can get from DCBService.com. You place your orders uh, roughly three months in advance with monthly discount specials up to 75% off and regular discounts of 40% off. Ship as often as you like with orders as large or small as you like, and you only pay $6.25 in flat rate shipping. Uh, so thanks to DCBService.com. Go there and uh, and order all your comic book, comic books because you owe your local store nothing, <laughs> and you should be saving money. <laughs> Don't be silly. Go to DCBService.com. 
So uh, it's 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 one sixty three in our order, which is a ways away. That's a couple years from now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. For 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 those listening at home, Fires of Pompeii is number thirty eight. So. Uh, I thought it was sooner than that. Oh well. No. Ah no. uh, well. <laughs> what can you do? Not much. Nope. Oh, that's nope. where literally it's literally like Utopia that that whole trilogy and then like like six weeks later we're doing Talons like that's yeah. how far away that is yeah oh yeah next week we're uh, returning to the Fifth Doctor and you know how we feel about the Fifth Doctor oh do we oh do we and we're talking about the Visitation and you're gonna want to check that out uh, and it's important to note that if you have Netflix Instant. The Visitation is available on Netflix Instant, so you should watch that. And you really should, because uh, just like we were talking about The Ark in Space being a great um, classic Who story for for early watching, uh, The Visitation is an excellent first Peter Davison story. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If you're not going to start at Cash Revolve, you might as well start at The Visitation. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Cash Revolve is fun, but it's almost better to uh, watch in retrospect after having been introduced to Peter Davison and then going back and seeing how he started. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Because he's kind of out of commission for some of that. Um, oh, no, he's he's not in the story for the first two episodes. Like, yeah. He's not there. Which is unfortunate. Uh, um, but this is this is literally just pure Davison for like four episodes. And oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about it. Uh, But until then, uh, Matt, where can people find you on that thing called the internet? The internet place you can find me at Twitter, twitter.com slash in. You can also find my alternate Twitter account, twitter.com slash gdcommentary, where if you've been paying attention, you might be catching some thoughts of mine on the Vampire Diaries, because sometimes (laughs) I watch that show. Uh, It's only funny because last week, um, I just, I watched like season three, episode five, and it basically, like I couldn't handle not talking about it somewhere. So I basically just dumped my brain thoughts all over Twitter and tweeted about once a minute for 45 minutes. (laughs) Oh man, it was good. Yeah. I just like, it was, it was swearing. It was like me just going through that roller coaster. You were just losing your mind. (laughs) Oh, it was in real time, my friends. It was in real time. So um, if you want to see Matt lose his mind in real time, follow GD Commentary on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Because if I lose my mind, I lose my mind. Um, so so that's fun. We also live-tweeted the Oscars, which was really cool uh, and fun. And a lot of bitching about Billy Crystal. Um, oh, you can, boy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. You can also follow my uh, blog, classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com, where I review classic... Uh, Doctor Who, I have a post on the visitation. It was like one of my first stories, but I guess we're talking about that next week. Darn it, I messed that one up. Um, uh, this week I'm talking about the Mind of Evil, which if you remember, we covered last year on this very show, and is a delight. Um, so check out my entry on that. Next week I also have something really cool, but I'll talk about that then. Uh, that's where you can find me, Scott. I'm twitter.com slash Scott Corelli, and twitter.com slash Scott Commentary is where you can find my thoughts on the Oscars and uh, general live tweetage. Uh, what else? What did, I, did I live tweet something recently? I feel like I did. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't. I, I rarely pay attention to myself. Um, <laughs> no, the, uh, that's just how long the Oscars were. Oh, okay. It felt like multiple things. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, I do live tweet things occasionally. And, uh, the problem is that, um, the things that I would generally love to live tweet, I can't because Matt isn't caught up and he's watching them. So... I don't want to yeah. spoil anything, basically. <laughs> basically, what Scott's saying is that he doesn't want to be a dick. Yeah, I don't want to be a dick, yes. As opposed to me, who will just dump all of my Vampire Diaries thoughts on everyone who's not caught up. <laughs> but you basically, don't know them personally, so that's the difference. Oh, right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I would have to answer me. for my crimes. You don't have to. 
Right, exactly. I also, I just have the mentality of I climb the ladder and then I pull the ladder back up um, <laughs> when I'm at the top. That's just my mentality. Um, so, so yeah. <laughs> oh, and then go to the website, uh, mindrobber.net. And, uh, yeah. And if you haven't listened to it yet, listen to the Mind Robbers, our other podcast, our our flagship podcast for the site. Uh, and listen soon when we make a, uh, pretty massive announcement about, uh, nothing Stuff. to do with this show in particular, but the future of us as people and things <laughs> yes. that we want to do yes. in our future. Uh, so that's going to be something you'll be interested in if you like us at all. Within the next couple weeks, like within, we're talking less than two weeks at this point. I'm going to say I, I would probably say episode 10 would be the episode. Um, oh, sure. In which we'll probably be talking <laughs> about that. So a real milestone for, for that show. Well, because by that point, that means that we'll have done 50 hours of that show. Because um, <laughs> God knows we can't keep that show under two hours. Um, uh. But no, seriously, if you haven't listened to it. Seriously, go listen to the one that we did this week. It was about Star Wars. Like, and, whoo, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and fun. And, oh, boy, you know, was it about Star Wars. Oh, God, so much Star Wars. <laughs> Very therapeutic. I'll add that. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, check that out and leave iTunes reviews because that helps us out a lot. If you listen to this show and you haven't left one yet, um... Please feel guilty and go do that. Please. We haven't <laughs> had a new review in a really long time. Um, yeah, no, and, be shamed. And as a result, we haven't gotten uh, – we haven't really gotten any new listeners in a really long time because that's how – like whenever you get new reviews, it helps with like search results and all of that, that, that big math equation that iTunes uses to uh, create search results and all of that. So please leave reviews for this show and our other show. Um, because yeah, it definitely helps a lot. All right. Well, that's it next week, Peter Davison and the visitation. And we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye guys. Bye.